Hey everybody, Larry Powell here, your host for Studio HFL, where you truly do hear from legends. Thanks again for joining me for another terrific interview. This week's guest is Principal Trumpet with the Detroit Symphony Orchestra, Hunter Eberly. And we're going to have a fun time talking about everything from trumpet to fishing during today's interview. But before we get to Hunter's interview, I need to let you know more about the show sponsors. And we'll start with Messina Covers. Messina Covers is not just any other case company. David Messina and Erica Howard design and produce some of the most beautiful cases that fit both form and function. You can choose your case design, fabric and trim color, custom embroidery, and more. Find out more at MessinaCovers.net. Thursday evenings at 8 p.m. is when you can tune in and listen to the radio version of these interviews. Each week I choose highlights from an interview and add in musical selections written in or performed by the guest. And you can find this show on the FM dial at 88.7 WICR The Diamond. You can also tune in via the iHeartRadio app. Again, that's each Thursday evening at 8 p.m. Eastern. Peter Pickett and his crack team of craftspeople are continually innovating and providing the trumpet community with spectacular options for stock and custom mouthpieces. He and Eric Marine can help you find just the right size to fit your needs, and you should definitely consider trying the acrylic cup and rim. And if you're in the market for a custom trumpet, then Peter and Eric can build a Blackburn trumpet just for you. Check them out at picketblackburn.com. To stay current on what's going on with Studio HFL, you can follow me on social media, on Facebook and Instagram, at Studio HFL. And you can watch the live and pre-recorded interviews on the YouTube channel. And you know, while you're there, you ought to just go ahead and subscribe. My first experience with a Hammond Design mouthpiece has turned into a bit of an obsession. From one to, well, I think it's more than 30 now. Um, just don't tell my wife. There's something very comfortable about playing one of Carl's mouthpieces. The comfort, response, and sound are part of that HD experience. Try one of the stock mouthpieces or have Carl make you a custom one. Either way, everything is better in HD. You can find out more at carlhammonddesign.com. If you're enjoying this podcast, I would love it if you would take just a couple of minutes, go to Apple Podcast, and leave a star rating and a review. Doing so will help improve the visibility of this podcast and draw more listeners. When I first tried an Eastman B-flat trumpet a few years ago, I was blown away by the playability and the sound. And the more I found out about the company and got to know the people, I knew that this was a company I wanted to have a relationship with. There's a drive for excellence in design and production of every instrument, not just the high-end products. And the proof of this is the one and only Doc Severinsen helped design the Eastman beginner model trumpet. I still play my B-flat and have added a spectacular cornet and flugelhorn to my arsenal. Find out more at eastmanwins.com. I would love it if you would visit the Studio HFL website and sign up for the weekly newsletter. While you're there, you can also visit the merch page and buy a Studio HFL shirt for yourself and as a gift for someone else. Of course, that is at studiohfl.com. My current situation with my C trumpet is ridiculous. My Shire C, which Samantha Lane helped me trial and choose, is the most versatile C I've ever played. The line of Shire's trumpets includes the Q-series, which are production models, and the Custom Series, which is exactly that, they're custom horns. Either way you go, you'll love the sound you get, and you'll also experience exceptional customer service. Find out more at seshires.com. And lastly, before we get to the interview, I'd like to invite you to become a part of the Studio HFL community by going to Patreon 
and choosing from one of the four tiers of support. You can help to financially support the show for as little as $36 per year. That's only $3 a month. And benefits include exclusive access to interview excerpts, a behind-the-scenes report, an invitation to be in the room with a guest during an interview, product discounts, and more. Join the community of faithful supporters by visiting patreon.com slash studio HFL. And now, on with the interview. Hunter Eberly, welcome to uh, the Studio HFL podcast. Glad to have you here. Yeah, thanks for having me. Hi, how are you? I'm good. You? Good. Well, I had asked how things are going, right? But I think I know kind of the answer. It's a standard answer from everybody these days. It's like, I have no idea. <laughs> you know, it's like hit and miss from one day to another. But yeah. Yeah. So we've never met until now. Right. But my first experience with you, and you'll remember the year, I think, it was like a 2012 or 2013 ITG Grand Rapids, I think it was. You did, yeah. was it a warm-up session or a clinic you did up there? I think it was a, like a warm-up class. Yeah. Yeah, and that was right after you had won the position in Detroit, right? Yeah, I had won Detroit in March, and then I think Grand Rapids was like June or July. Yeah, wow. So... Was that 2012? 2013. 2013. Wow. Yeah. yeah. So they liked you. They kept you in Detroit. Yeah. 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 I'm admiring the trumpets hanging behind you on the wall. Of course, listeners won't be able to see what's back there, but those aren't nailed up there, right? No, those are like, <laughs> I think they use them in music stores or something. I just got them on Amazon, little yeah. trumpet racks. But Very clever. I have two little kids and two dogs. And I've had horns <laughs> stepped on before, and so this yeah. seemed like a, a good solution to keep them away from them. Yeah. Well, I have I don't have animals, but I have a granddaughter, and uh, she's very curious about the trumpets. And she wandered up here one day and said, uh, I know where your trumpets are. And I went into a panic thinking, <laughs> oh, no, maybe I should put them back in the case. But, yeah. Yeah. Well, I will ask, how are things going these days? What are you up to right now? Right now, things are okay. We actually just went back to work this week. We had our first concert back last night, and it was interesting. It was definitely a different experience, you know. We've moved into kind of this digital half of the season, doing everything with the social distancing and cutting down the amount of players to make sure we can fit everybody on stage and around the stage as safely as possible. So last night we did Fanfare for a Common Man, and with that, the three trumpet players were up in our dress circle, and then the rest of the brass were in the box seats, and then the timpani and percussion were on stage with the conductor. And then we did a Gabrielli and went kind of more to the standard, you know, all the brass on different sides in the box seats right next mm -hmm. to uh, the stage. So, you know, we're kind of rolling with the punches as much as possible. We were off for six months, and so it was definitely good to be back. Yeah. And we'll just have to see how this all plays out over the next few months. How'd that feel in rehearsals being so distant? You know, I mean, it's, you get so used to sitting a foot or two away from your section. Yeah. Sonically, emotionally, you know, what was that like? It was, I like sitting on stage personally better. It's great. <laughs> you know, we, we have a great hall in Detroit. And so mm -hmm. just playing on stage feels awesome to play. And, you know, through the years, we do antiphonal stuff, offstage stuff, we'll do stuff, you know, kind of all around. And so uh, kind of knew what to expect 
up there. You know, having to compensate for distance a little bit, making sure you're really on top of everything, especially with the trumpet so far up and back. And then the horns, especially were in the first box next to the conductor, getting that timing to right. line up was a little tricky. But, you know, it's it was good to be back. Good to see everybody again, mm-hmm. even if it was through a mask. But So were yeah. you still having to wear a mask when you weren't playing? Yes. So basically the rules are as soon as you get out of the car in the parking lot, it's a mask on. We have to do a health assessment every day that we're in the hall. And every week that we play, we have to do a COVID test. And so wow. we got tested. Yeah. And we are, we're partnered with one of the hospitals here in Detroit, Henry Ford Health Systems. And so they're helping us with the testing. They're doing that on-site at the DSO and it's a drive-through thing. So you drive up, they stick a swab into your brain and then you drive yeah. off. And this week, <laughs> as far as I know, everybody was negative. Everybody showed up to work. Terrific. Um, Great. And so, yeah, I think as far as, you know, the first run of getting back in the hall, I would say it was successful. Good. So, now you said virtual. Was Did that mean there was no audience at all or was there some spatially distanced? No audience yet. We're going to start opening things up based on our governor's recommendation. Mm-hmm. And so when we can have people back in the hall, we'll start adding them in. But for right now, it's all online. I think through our website, dso.org, you can. Through the summer, they opened all of our archives up for free. So you could listen to anything that we've webcast over, I think, about the last eight years. Wow. Uh, and now for this fall, they're ticketing for the live streams for the concerts. Um, Terrific. Yeah. I'm a fan of that, right? Let's stop giving away content, <laughs> right? Right. So, yeah, it was good to be back, but we're erring on the side of safety and also with the the size of orchestra we can use. I think we're capped at 30 players on stage. Wow. Uh, yeah. And so Cham- chamber orchestra basically every right. time. Yeah, and so pretty much everything we're doing, at least so far this half of the season up until December that we have planned out is all small stuff. And doing that, we also have a like 10-day waiting period after we've worked where they want to make sure that, you know, if we got infected, we'll have a chance to like tell symptoms, anything like that before we start to come in again. And so we had the concert last night and now I have the next 10 days off where we're going to start doing a lot of teaching through our civic youth ensemble program. And then I go back, not this coming week, but the following week and play. Mm-hmm. And so we mm-hmm. kind of rotate through that way mm-hmm. with the entire orchestra. So you can't work back-to-back weeks, essentially. Sure. So as far as programming, are they keeping any of the things that, orig- that originally were programmed for this season? Or is it a complete rework? I think it's a complete rework. There might be like a couple chamber things that were already on there that they were able Mm -hmm. to leave. But I'm trying to think. Our first week, we actually, a silver lining to this is we got our new music director to come in early. He was supposed to start in December with Beethoven 9. Obviously, that got canned. (laughs) He's still coming in, but for Beethoven 3. But he was able to come in for these first two weeks of the season. So... He's conducting this week and next week, which is nice, but that's all totally reworked. And yeah, overall, it's completely different. Just found out Soldier's Tale is on in the first week of December. So that'll be fun. That's one I haven't played yet. So 
Uh, well, you've probably worked on it, right? But just not performed. Not really. Right? Not oh, really? Actually, well, do I... you have a C cornet ready to go? Yep, it's somewhere to that. <laughs> it's right there. Yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So that one—that's a great horn. That's one of my favorite horns to play. It's one of the the Yamaha trumpet shank mm-hmm. C cornets. That mm-hmm. man, I love it. It's so much fun. Very nice. Great horn. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, I see a lot of opportunity to do a lot of really great chamber pieces that you wouldn't normally. But uh, could you imagine programming like Brandenburg II, Soldier's Tale, a Pulcinella, you know, mm-hmm. all these trumpet-heavy pieces? I mean, it, it might be a dream season or a nightmare season, depending on your perspective, right? I asked him to throw Brandenburg on there, but it <laughs> wasn't in the cards just yet. Maybe next half. But yeah. we were supposed yeah. to do Pulcinella in July, but that got canceled that wasn't mm-hmm. put back into this half. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I would like that. I like to play. I like especially things I haven't played before. <laughs> I'm all about it. So, Yeah. Well, I think everybody is in agreement on that. We all miss playing and all forced into, well, I think we all realize that with nothing on the calendar, it's like, why am I practicing? There are a lot of people that I've talked to over the summer that were like, I've put my horn down for the first an extensive period for the first time in a long time, just because yeah. it's like why? Yeah. I I did too. I mean, if, like I'm saying, we all did. If you look at mm-hmm. eventually the bunch of these interviews I've had over the summer, everybody has said, you know, we're talking major principles like yourself of uh, the orchestras who uh, you would think really I would never imagine that you would put the horn down, but yeah, uh, extraordinary able, times. I was able to kind of find my breaking point where it became too much time off. And luckily I did it early. So I initially, right the same week, the the orchestra shut down. My wife's Mm -hmm. a teacher and her school closed down Mm -hmm. and my son's school. And so Mm -hmm. immediately we were all just home. Mm -hmm. And I think I practiced the first couple weeks and then it was like, yeah, we're not coming back anytime soon. And then I took a solid three weeks off, which I haven't done, you know, since early college. When right. I didn't understand, I couldn't do that. But, you know, it, it was kind of cool in a way. You know, usually we're working so much that my wife's working, my son's at school. I'm always having to warm up and practice. And so it was cool to be able to take that time and just be like, yeah, what do you guys want to do? You want to go for a walk? Right. Awesome. Let's do it. You want to go fishing? Let's go fishing. Great. And so it was nice. We actually, we got to spend a lot of quality time, which I think is for a lot of people, a silver lining to all this where you can just do the things where normally life it. So, Yeah, my wife is, she's also a violinist and we play in a lot of regional orchestras here in Indiana. And we were like, wait a minute, I don't have a Friday night rehearsal. I don't have a Saturday night. Is this what normal people experience? And it's, well, this is pretty nice, you know, mm-hmm. being able to actually spend quali- really quality time with family. It's been great. So Let's see, I'm, I'm trying to do the math. I don't know if you're starting your seventh or eighth season with Detroit. I'm not sure either. <laughs> Good, I don't feel so bad now. <laughs> I started in the middle of the season. So starting in March 5th puts me kind of like half. And so, yeah, I think once March rolls around, I'll be going into my eighth full season. So I count it that way. But mm-hmm. I, I started first in the Jacksonville Symphony in, when was it? 2010. So this is actually my 10th year, start of my 10th season playing full-time in orchestras, yeah. What uh, position were you in Jacksonville? I started out as principal and then moved to second for 
about three months and then one Detroit. So. And the tenure process in Detroit, is that a one or two year? It's one with the option to extend it. And so I got tenure a day before a year. So we were actually on tour down in Florida in Naples. And one of the horn players came up to me like the day before, like I was waiting for tenure because I knew it was like a year and I had to know, like contractually, you have to tell me. Right. And he came up and you know, he was like, man, you sound great. You know, I just want you to stick around. We'd love having you here. I was like, man, I'd love to stick around, but you guys have to give me tenure. He's like, <laughs> you, don't, you don't have tenure yet? I was like, nope. He's like, hold on. And so he went and talked to the personnel manager. And was like, you know, Hunter needs to know about tenure by like tomorrow. And so they had a meeting before the concert the next day and then gave me tenure. So... Wow. They kind of forgot, it sounds like, right? <laughs> yeah, I think the uh, starting in the middle of the season was weird. And oh. then having the tour kind of coincide with that was just a lot of different things going on. And yeah, I'm glad I reminded you, you, them. You could have viewed it as, you know, they were taking you on a nice trip for your for your tenure promotion. Right. right? So that those first seasons, they can be stressful, to say the least. What kind of repertoire were you going through during those the, that first year? The first year, I'm trying to think. I don't remember what my first week was. My trial weeks, I did Till. I did some other stuff. It was also a Beethoven festival. And so mm -hmm. I think I played in the festival Beethoven 5, maybe Beethoven 7, and then Leonore 3 also. Mm -hmm. And then once I started... I remember my second week was Rite of Spring and Dvorak 8, so that was fun. But, you know, the cool thing about Detroit is it's one of the nicest orchestras that you'll ever experience. And so mm -hmm. from day one here, it was like home. And so nice. any amount of stress and pressure that I felt, I kind of put on myself. But everyone has been super supportive since day one. And so that's great. It's really, yeah. Really, I think, a unique thing, but also, you know, very great to be a part of. That vibe, you know, I wonder sometimes if people outside of an orchestra realize just how important the vibe is to the health and well-being mm -hmm. of an orchestra. So it's nice to hear that you say that Detroit is one of those places where it's got a great vibe, a good yeah. feel. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I like so, it. So, and now I'm, I'm not trying to dig or anything, and if you don't want to share, that's fine, but Jacksonville. Was it different? Let me just put it that way. Was it different? Yes. Don't throw anybody under the bus, right? No, I won't. I think different things can affect how an orchestra functions. And when I joined Jacksonville, they had just come off of a lockout and were coming into negotiations for the following contract. Mm -hmm. And so that was always kind of looming over the musicians' heads. And the music director at the time, I wasn't we didn't quite get along and he didn't get along with generally younger people just for whatever reason. And so when I asked him why I didn't get tenure, he told me that he had no, no doubt that I had the talent and the ability for the job, but I wasn't old enough. And so, yeah, yeah. Or I was too young. It was either I wasn't old enough or I was too young. So that was a one-on-one -on -one conversation. I was like, why? And wow. That's what he told me. And so after that, I was like, all right, 
I will find a different job. So they essentially moved me from principal to second. In the initial audition, it was a principal and second trumpet audition, and I qualified for both jobs. They gave me principal, and then since I had qualified for second, they moved me to second. And then the few months I was there, when I left, I think I had missed 53 services for auditions because they had a clause in their contract where if you were taking an audition, you could get guaranteed leave. Mm-hmm. And so I, I basically said, yeah, I'm, I'm taking all this time and I'm taking every audition and mm-hmm. yeah, I'm not going to be here for long. So what'd you take? Where'd you go? And were they all principal positions that you were auditioning for? I think they were all principal. I ended up, I went to China and played a week with an orchestra there and took an audition, I guess you can call it. It was a weird scenario there. And they offered me the job. And then I was also doing the Malaysian Philharmonic audition. And so like I had to go to New York initially to audition in New York, and then they invited me out to play a couple weeks with the orchestra and do an audition out there. I had all the different rounds with the DSO through that time. My trials were in February, but the audition process for me started in October, Mm. and so it's kind of drawn out with that. There might have been like a St. Louis audition in there, Mm -hmm. but I was also thinking about like going back to school, doing, I think I was only 24 at the time. I was still fairly young. I was thinking about doing New World, was kind of considering all my options at that point, and mm-hmm. luckily I won Detroit and was able to move up here, yeah. back up here. Oh, so this is home for you? Yeah, yeah. So I grew up on the west side of the state, right outside of Grand Rapids. Did my undergrad at Grand Valley State University over there. That's where I met my wife, who's from the east side of the state, and so we actually live five minutes from her parents in her hometown. (laughs) That's great. Our kids go to the same elementary school that she went to. (laughs) So yeah, this is as close to home as it could be. That's nice. So at Grand Valley was a rich Stolzel at that point, right? Yeah. And was that your bachelor's or master's? Bachelor's. Bachelor's. And so when you were saying you were thinking about going back to school, would that have been a master's or doctorate? it would have been a master's. After, after Grand Valley, I went to the, the Colburn School and studied mm-hmm. with Jim Wilt. And I got my, what did they give me? I was going for an artist diploma and I left mm-hmm. early because I won Jacksonville and I got a professional studies certificate. So if I had gone back to school, it was going to be for a master's. Mm-hmm. I was looking at Rice. Barb and Charlie had just gotten the job over there. So I was like, well, mm-hmm. could be a master's degree. Great program. Would be better than the current situation. So, yeah. But. Studying with Rich, what was that like at Grand Valley? It was good. I, I totally stumbled into the school. I, my mom was a band director. She teaches choir now, but she was basically my trumpet teacher when I was younger. But like from the kitchen, she would make me practice and then like yell across the room, no, you played the wrong note, you know. <laughs> and so I never had formal lessons until my senior year in high school. I studied with Charlie Lee, who's in the Grand Rapids Symphony. Studied with him for maybe six months Mm -hmm. and then auditioned at two schools, Grand Valley and then Western Michigan. Western, I got into the music ed program with zero scholarships. And Grand Valley, I also got into the music ed program, but with a little Mm -hmm. bit of scholarships. Mm -hmm. And so I chose Grand Valley and then 
basically from week one, you know, Stoza talked to me and my mom wanted me to do music ed. She's like, getting a job as a trumpet player is really hard. You should do music ed. And then if you don't make it as a trumpet player, you can still teach. All right. And so Stoza's like, why are you doing music ed? I was like, well, this is what my mom told me. He's like, okay, well, do you like teaching? I was like, no, like <laughs> high school teaching, like being a high school band director sounds absolutely terrible. Like I would hate to do that. He's like, then don't do music ed. <laughs> like I wouldn't want you teaching my kids. Like this isn't the solution. And so I had to re-audition to get into the performance studio and yeah, after that, I had, I, I, I was clueless going into undergrad. Like my senior year in high school, I somehow realized that it was possible to make a living playing trumpet, but mm -hmm. I didn't know anyone. Like I didn't know who Phil Smith was, Bud Herseth, you know, anybody. Like, and so it was all new. It was all a learning experience. And I was really bad at the trumpet. And so Stoza will tell the story. I took the first two years were one note lessons where I used to kind of sound like a mariachi trumpet player, like mm -hmm. super bright, nasally, airy. That's not a dig on mariachi. The, I had a super mm -hmm. tight vibrato too going with mm -hmm. it. And so I just sounded bad. And he, he didn't like that. At the time, basically his entire studio sounded great. And I was kind of this blister who just sounded bad. <laughs> so lessons with him, we would try to play flow studies. And mm -hmm. he would play like a flow study and I'd come in and play a note, just a G, and it would sound terrible. And we would just work on a G for the entire hour lesson. And we did that for two years. Wow. And finally it clicked as to what I had to do to like change my sound. And then after that, I had to relearn basically how to play the trumpet. And I would go from, you know, sounding good on a G to playing an F sharp and the F sharp would sound terrible. And I just had to relearn how to get around the entire horn. And it took a while. I ended mm -hmm. up doing five years, five years in my undergrad. And yeah, it wasn't until like the end of my fourth year that it felt like, oh, I can actually play the trumpet. So, so the difference between your freshman, freshman year and graduating I mean, we're talking miles and miles apart, right? Yeah. yeah. And so by the time you left that studio, where, did you feel like you were in a position to, to go to grad school? Or now was Rich oh, yeah. going to say, you know, wait, maybe education would have been a good choice? <laughs> no. My, my senior year, I ended up winning the National Trumpet Competition. My trumpet ensemble the year before had won. And then that senior year, I think we got third, second, something. I got into like the ITG excerpts competition and I got into like all but one grad school. And so uh, I was feeling probably four years of my undergrad, like confidence level was down here because I sounded bad, like, you know, I couldn't play. And then I've always been on the edge of like, you know, there's a line between being confident and being cocky. Mm -hmm. And so like up until my undergrad, I towed that line, where is it, really close. Like I was really <laughs> sometimes going too far. And, you know, undergrad really kind of kicked me in the butt and kind of threw me back down to here. But then once, once I could actually play to like build up the confidence, it's like, oh, cool. Yeah, great. Let's actually do stuff now. Right.
Right. So then it was, I think, one year at Colburn, and then the following fall of my second year, I won Jacksonville. The You mentioned the ITG excerpts. Did, did you make the finals in that? Yep. That was, I think, in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, the first time it was there. Um, so I attended, I think it was San Antonio a few years ago. I attended. That's okay. the first time I've ever gone to uh, orchestra finals, mock finals. Mm-hmm. And to me, it is the most unfair, unrealistic, <laughs> you know, you walk into this room and you're just feet away from not just the panel, but 50, 60, 70 other trumpet players who know exactly how that excerpt is supposed to go. Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking, boy, if this is not the most <laughs> unnerving experience, did you sense that? I love stuff like that. And so I liked it and I didn't. I had hurt my chops. I overpracticed leading up to that competition. I graduated mm-hmm. and had two months off to practice. Mm-hmm. And so I was stupid in the like seven, eight hour days. And like the week before the competition, like I started getting a sharp pain here. And uh, I couldn't play. I couldn't make a sound until like, the morning of the finals. It was like, mm-hmm. all right, I have to do something. But definitely, it's a different experience. It's different than auditions. But for me, it was almost higher, like a higher stress level than auditions at the time. Mm-hmm. My panel was very intimidating. I had Chris Martin, Tom Hooten, Dave Krause, <laughs> Charles Lazarus from yeah. Minnesota. And so... It's just like, oh, well, here is everybody. So, yeah. And so <laughs> at that point, I was just trying to hold on and like right. actually make notes come out. Right. But yeah, it was an interesting experience. But that ITG was great because there were so many like top level orchestral players, which is what I wanted to do. And so it was like, cool, I get to listen to, to all these people. And I remember hearing like Tom Hooten for the first time was. Just, I think everybody in that auditorium, he played Turin Chronicles and sounded ridiculous. And we're all just like sitting back in our seats like, holy cow, who is this guy? It was like the first time he had done like one of these things. And up to that point, I had played on some different equipment and I went out to the exhibits after that and bought a Bach mouthpiece. I was like, I can't sound like him playing what I'm playing. I know mm-hmm. I can't. I need to mm-hmm. make a change, and I did. I hope you're enjoying today's interview. This is just a short break to remind you to visit Messina Covers, Pickett Blackburn, Hammond Design, Eastman Winds, and the S.E. Shires websites to check out their exceptional products and services. They design and produce the things that make trumpet playing easier and more enjoyable. You can find links to their websites in the show notes. Now, back to the interview. So are you a Yamaha guy or Con Selmer? What, what's, do you have an, an affiliation? Artist. Are you? Yeah, okay. I'm a Yamaha artist. I've been playing Yamaha since undergrad. You know, Hunter, who couldn't play a G and sound good, went to the Yamaha factory, which at the time, Bob Malone's shop and everything was in Grand Rapids. Yeah, I was there. Yeah, 25 minutes from my school. Mm-hmm. And as, you know, a stupid undergrad kid who couldn't play the trumpet, like, he helped me pick out horns. He like tweaked them for me. He did the whole nine yards. And, you know, that, that stuck with me, you know, it was like an 18 year old kid. Here's like one of the top guys in this business taking the time to work with me. And so I've kind of, I've played Yamaha's really ever since. And I think when I was in Jacksonville, 
I became an artist, so I've been an artist for almost 10 years. Yeah, terrific. Yeah, yeah I, I mean, they make fantastic equipment, of course, but and not mm -hmm. to endorse anybody in particular, but I just draw everybody's attention to the sponsors behind me here, so just uh, to be fair with, be fair with all, all right. of that. Uh, it's all good. But it is, you know, the choice of equipment these days is ridiculous. I mean, there's just mm. spectacular stuff everywhere. You know, it yeah. just comes down to personal choice, right? And what fits where you're playing. So uh, my, do you recall? I'm sorry, go ahead. I was going to say my personal choice of like sea trumpets is much different than most people's. And so I've always played on weird stuff. And finally, I think it was two years ago, I got a a stock Yamaha horn that I liked the uh, like the Boston horn that section mm -hmm. plays on but up until then I was on weird cobbled together stuff that worked for me and like my sound concept and where I was but yeah right right going back to NTC do you I'm sure you remember the piece you played that yeah. uh, what was that that was the Tamburg concerto the first movement I'm not familiar with that I'm gonna have to get familiar it's a cool piece it's a cool piece there's a chance i'll be doing it next season with the dso if everything mm -hmm. you know settles down a little bit right but it for me it was a piece that kind of fit my personality i think and that's uh, i clicked with it pretty well it's kind of intense loud yeah it's I was, at the competition i remember talking to somebody and just it's just like a hurricane meets a tornado and then an earthquake comes and everything just goes like this. I got to check that out. Yeah. yeah. But I, you know, you, to me, I, I perceive you as a very laid back, quiet kind of guy. So when you say intense and, you know, I'm like, I, I don't see that, but maybe. <laughs> I think, so I've said, you know, I'm a laid back guy, you know, I, I'm chill. And like, I remember just recently saying that to one of my sisters and she laughed at me. No, Hunter, you are not laid back. And it, it depends on the, the situation. When I'm playing trumpet, I get pretty intense about it. I think a lot of it is just due to, you know, like the years of sucking and like the how much I had to practice and push through that to actually sound good. And I take it very seriously. And so, you know, when I'm playing trumpet, if it's like outside of my living room with my kids dancing around like that i can be laid back and i can play daniel tiger for them and it's fun but outside of that it's like as focused and on point as possible and so yeah stuff like the tamburg Mahler five which we just did two years ago i think i played it for the first time like that was like meat and potatoes for me nice. like that sort of playing is nice. yeah so at what point did you decide that orchestra, the orchestral route is what you wanted to take? You said you were kind of clueless at your senior year of high school and, you know, mm -hmm. and you described those first couple of years at Grand Valley, but when did that, you know, were you thinking anything at that point or? It was, it would have been a couple of years, probably third or fourth year at Grand Valley. You know, I think that Stozel really kind of pushed the orchestral route as much as possible that was kind of his the way he went through school like what what he learned the style he learned and so that's what he taught a lot and so you know i loved like orchestra rep class stuff like that listening to just how the trumpet fit in to everything and 
I kind of decided early on that I didn't want to freelance. Like I didn't want, I didn't want to do that. And like I met my wife, I think my third, fourth year in undergrad and we started dating like her third week in school. Mm -hmm. And it was like, you know, realistically, if I want a family, if I want to do all these things, I don't like, personally, I don't like uncertainty. Like, so all this 2020 isn't fun. I like to know like what I'm playing, how much I'm getting paid, what the structure is for the foreseeable future. And so I saw, you know, the orchestra as the best way to do that as a trumpet player outside Mm -hmm. of teaching. And at the time I wanted to teach, I like teaching trumpet. Trumpet is great. I love teaching lessons. I don't like teaching high school band, but you know, playing in an orchestra was what I think early on in undergrad, I was just like, yeah, I mean, I love playing it and it actually pays, they pay you money to play the trumpet. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. So you play in an orchestra. I think you're, you're doing well. And actually Jacksonville, Brandon's mom was the executive director there when I started. And so he came in. I think the start of my second season and subbed and it's like, Brandon, come out and play. And we went through the first rehearsal and I remember him looking at me afterwards. He's just like, what did you do? Like, what do you mean? He's like, you sucked. Like you, you were really bad. You, you sound great. I was like, yeah. And you know, we're friends. We were, we were roommates there, you know, we got mm-hmm. along well and it was, it wasn't, you know, a secret that I was bad at the trumpet. It's like, mm-hmm. yeah, I'm, I'm really bad, but I want to get better. So, mm-hmm. yeah. I talked to Brandon, oh, maybe a month ago. Okay. And what a great guy. And, and we had actually, I'm here in Indianapolis, and he and his dad had come through. I'd actually played in a few orchestras where Rich had come through and done his thing. You know, he's, of course, a mm-hmm. terrific showman on the piano. But he and his dad came through and were doing a quintet version of Rhapsody in Blue. Okay. And they needed another trumpet, horn, trombone, and tuba to fill out the group. So I was actually one of the, I got to play with him for this one little performance. And I, when I talked to him a month ago, I, I brought that up. He goes, you know, that's the only time we ever did that piece. And so for what little fame that may bring me, you know, I'll include that <laughs> somewhere mm-hmm. along the way. But, you know, it was a treat to get to sit next to him even for that. But, you know, another thing I appreciate about him I know this is an interview with you, but I'm just saying, you know, it's like you guys are so, I'll include you, you're so willing to share. And I, that's, I really appreciate that. And to be able to open yourself up and say, you know, I really sucked back then. It's, you know, shows a little bit of vulnerability. I, I, I want to ask influences. You said, you know, you got to this point to where you hadn't heard of Phil Smith any, anymore or up to that point or others, but so all now your ears are opened. Who are you? Who are you trying to take in and mimic? Right now or back to oh develop? sure all all of it. I mean, who's uh, um, tell me who's your favorite trumpet player? That that's a loaded question. I love Hokan oh. as a soloist. You know, he's my favorite. Orchestrally, you know, I've basically an undergrad when I didn't know who anyone was. Stosa was like, okay, you need to listen and don't stop listening and so i started out like going to the library and we still had record players there and so like pulling out old records and listening and you know phil smith probably was like the strongest sound in my head after i heard tom hooten at itg 
that was like something I wanted to sound like. You know, Stozel sounds great. You know, he has a beautiful sound, very singing. And so that was a big influence on me getting out to LA and uh, getting to study with Jim Wilt, you know, Mr. Clean, like the crispness and just the clarity and everything he does was a big, big, you know, impact on what I started to try to bring in. I worked with Tom a little bit and Sax also once I was in Jacksonville and both of those mm -hmm. guys, just like sound concept and approach in the orchestra, you know, sitting in that chair, that was really helpful mm -hmm. for me. So, so now if I can listen to, you know, Tom play something, Mike Sachs play something, those are usually my, my go-tos. Yeah. Um, or Hoka, yeah. You can't, you know, yeah. Charlotte. Right. I mean, how great has that been mm -hmm. through this lockdown to have him? And I, yeah. he finally came back, I think last week with the next one, but so no Jim, Maynard, go ahead. Jim Wilt too. I mean, Jim has been doing like daily etudes, mm -hmm. which I mean, he sounds amazing. He's such mm -hmm. a great player. So those are really fun. You might think yeah. he's up to 160 some dudes now. Yeah, they're great. So I was going to ask, no Maynard Ferguson phase that you went through? or I mean, I always try to play MacArthur Park. It never <laughs> works out the way I hope it will. You know, I've done a little bit of that. There are some local guys here who played with Maynard. You know, Walter White is up here. Oh, yeah. We've hung out a bit. Kenny Robinson who does the Robinson's Remedies Lip Renew. Oh, yeah. He's just up north of here, so... I've I did a tour with those guys with the Temptations, with the Temptations and the Beach Boys sitting down oh, on the trumpet. So that was fun, mm -hmm. eye opening to see like that side of it. Going through school, I never did jazz band. I never did any of that. And so I can fake my way through stuff in the orchestra a bit. But that side of trumpet playing always amazes me. Just like mm -hmm. man, you guys. So that's about as far yeah. as that goes. Yeah, you know, just listening in awe. Yeah. What about chamber work? Are you, well, not including what the DSO is doing at the moment, but mm -hmm. quintet, trumpet ensemble, what, are you involved in anything? The DSO has a quintet, kind of a revolving quintet for things. We had some stuff planned this summer that got canned. I was supposed to do a Brandenburg this summer that got canned. I was supposed to do like a trumpet organ duet this summer that got canned. A lot of that chamber stuff kind of came up before you know, COVID hit and it was cool. Yeah. I get to do more of this because usually I'm so just in the trenches in the orchestra. Right. Like, cool. I get to do this chamber stuff. And then now, sorry, pull the plug on that. I did a lot of trumpet ensemble in undergrad and that we took really seriously. And that's something I kind of lost the joy in doing trumpet ensemble stuff, just with how intense it was and how much mm -hmm. time we spent with it and how ingrained all of that got just like in my brain i've played in it a little bit since but it's always like i'm very cautious to step into trumpet ensemble you know quintet stuff we've done a few recitals that have been fun i was just talking to our tuba player yesterday in between rehearsals mm -hmm. and i think it was about this time last year we did a brass quintet recital like an hour-long recital and i accidentally double booked myself and had a full brass quintet recital and then i think 25 minutes before i had to do a solo recital and so that was an interesting night did you survive <laughs> yeah yeah chops were fine chops weren't the oh. issue it was just timing you know yeah having to say the solo recital we never like had a set time 
And so I was assuming like an eight o'clock hit. Mm -hmm. I was like, all right, I can do this quintet thing. Then I can get there. I can do the solo thing. It's not too hard. It'll work. And then they mm -hmm. came back with, oh, no, it's a, a seven o'clock so solo recital. Ooh. It's like, oh, well, that, that complicates <laughs> it. It all worked out. Yeah, good. So you see yourself in Detroit for the foreseeable future? Yeah, I think that's the plan. I mean, right now in 2020, I don't think anything's guaranteed anywhere with anything. And so, you know, my wife and I have talked about it. It's like, it's really hard to leave family and it's really hard to mm. leave a great group. It's hard to leave a great hall. And so it would have to take a lot to get us to leave. And we just kind of hope things don't come to that. So the plan right now is to stay really for as long as possible. Right now we live in my wife's hometown, which mm -hmm. is actually an island in the Detroit River, like at the mouth of Lake Erie. Mm -hmm. And I love to fish. It's like through all this quarantine, I was out five, six days a week fishing. And it's just, there aren't many places that can support, you know, a big orchestra where you have like what we have in this little sliver right here. Mm -hmm, like mm -hmm. Everything I want to do is like right here. Yeah. What kind of fishing? Walleye fishing. So... In the spring, all the walleye come up from Lake Erie and go through the Detroit River to spawn. Mm -hmm. And so that walleye run is just, it's insane. Like jigging for the limits five, I think it bumped up to six this season. But, mm -hmm. you know, limits, I would catch limits in 10 minutes, 15 minutes, and then just keep fishing and throwing them back. And it's just a blast. So size-wise, and I'll believe you, whatever, t you, you know, however big you say the fish is, and I'll believe you. How, what's the biggest one you've caught? <laughs> the walleye? Yeah. The biggest one this season was about 26, 27 inches. Wow. They were averaging bigger this year. My average was about 18, 19 inches, which is pretty good. And quite a few around the 23, 24 inch. Yeah. We lost. I went fishing with my wife a couple times, and we, I had a very big one on and lost it at the boat with the net job my my wife kind of missed yeah so that was disappointing <laughs> and then somehow after that my fishing pole ended up in the river no no comment on that yeah <laughs> that that goes back to my sister laughing at me when i said i was laid back ah uh, gotcha um, gotcha so i take fishing pretty seriously too yeah but. catfish put up a nice fight you know I, I always enjoyed catfish uh walleye i would imagine put up a pretty good pretty good fight yeah yeah, and I've caught a few big catfish this year, walleye fishing. Mm -hmm. I'm doing, you know, bottom bouncers with crawler harnesses. I think one was 24 and one was 25 in mm -hmm. channel cats. Yeah. That was fun. You yeah. get those on and there's that minute where you're thinking it's a walleye. And if it's a walleye, the thing's going to be like right. enormous. And you're just crossing your fingers and you're like, oh, it's <laughs> but then you're like, oh cool, it's a catfish. So, right, right. Yeah. So, well, very cool. Well, this has been a lot of fun getting to know you a little bit yeah. and yeah, mm -hmm. appreciate you sharing everything. Plans to go to ITG next year by any chance? If it happens, of course. If it happens, I possibly, I me and ITG don't always get along. And so like when I did ITG as a student, I would go to see like Tom Hooten and Chris Martin and Dave Krause and all those guys. Mm -hmm. And it just seems like the last five, eight years, they've kind of cut that 
element out. You know, the you have lots of college professors and maybe one orchestral player. This last year on the roster, I don't think there was a single full-time orchestral player as an artist at ITG. And for me, it's like, how do you call it an international trumpet guild conference when you don't invite, you know, this huge portion of working professionals who right. so many students want to do this, you know? Right. And it, it's kind of, to me, turned into an opportunity for people with a doctorate to put things on their CV and get raises and, right. you know, get papers published and keep that route. So to me, it's the International Trumpet Professors Guild. Yeah. So. I mean, that's, uh, I remember that. And I don't recall that since then. Of course, in Miami, Sergey was kind of the, mm -hmm. the, the big deal. Uh, right. But so. Well, uh, I only asked really um, hoping to run into you at some point, you know, but Detroit's yeah. not that far away. You know, maybe I'll run up for coffee somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> so. Yeah. That'd be cool. Uh, okay. Cool. All right. Sounds good. Thanks, Hunter. All right. Take yeah. care. Thank you too. Bye. Bye. Hey, thanks for joining me today for this interview. Hope you enjoyed it. And if you want to hear more, you can visit patreon.com slash studio HFL. By becoming a supporter, you can have access to content that is exclusively available to my Patreon patrons. I'd also like to remind you to visit Apple Podcast and leave a star rating and a review, and don't forget to follow me on social media. This has been a production of Powell Music LLC and has been supported by the generosity of sponsors Nasina Covers, Eastman Winds, S.E. Shires, Hammond Design, and Pickett Blackburn. Once again, I'm your host, Larry Powell, and you can find out more about me and the rest of the podcast at StudioHFL.com. Thanks for listening, and keep coming back for more great interviews.